Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. That whole weekend of the Women's Nationals, even now, it's like when, when we see the girls walk past the office or they come in for a chat, it's still, you're giving them a big hug and, you know, we're, I'm calling them, hey, you doing champions, you know, just because of, you know, they're all on cloud nine, so they should be of what we've done in a decade, but it's, it's such a short period of time to start a program to where we are now. Still talking about it is, you know, I get goosebumps and I want to go play squash now. <laughs> And our guest this week is John White. He is the men's and women's squash coach at Drexel University, and he is coming off just a phenomenal season for the squash program at Drexel. John, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about this past season, and as we're talking, just recently wrapped up, the women get right on the brink of a, a national championship, a lot of success individually. What was this year like for the program, for you, for the kids? historical season really you know the way that the first half of the season was panning out it was you know we had our goals at the start of the season of where we thought the program could go and you know we had some ups and downs with some of the matches during the season where we lost four five or three six and we knew what the the talent we had on the team and what we could do and and it sort of all pieces came together at the especially women's nationals um which was two weeks ago moving Back a week, which was the men's championships, you know, had a f- had a few little hiccups, and there was a four-five loss against Princeton, which we was a winnable match. But the guys came back, and you know, we finished seventh. Uh, we were seeded eighth for the tournament. Uh, finishing seventh was was good for the end of the season. And then uh, moving on to Boston for the women's nationals, and you know, we knew what the women could could do and what uh, results they could get. And the weekend was it was a hundred miles an hour, and and the adrenaline and the uh, just the experience as a, as a coach watching, but the experiences of players, uh, you know, beating Princeton first day, 5-4, and then, you know, backing it up against the number two, two seed Trinity the next day. And it couldn't come down, you know, more to the wire with, you know, it was, it was four matches apiece. And then our number two, Alina Bushma, she went on for the, th- for the, for the final rubber, it was a full, full house at Harvard. And, she went down 0-2 in the last match, so, you know, our corner a little bit quiet and this and that, but ever, all the girls were still cheering. And then Alina uh, pulled it out and won 3-2 to give Drexel uh, a national championship uh, berth the next day against Harvard. But as a coach, you know, standing around for three hours watching these young ladies compete and yelling and screaming and supporting each other. And just when they all ran on the court with Alina, you know, yelling and screaming and tears and hugs and everything else, it was... Uh, it's something I'll never forget. And it's, you know, as, as a coach, knowing the hard work they put on and off the court and how the season was going, to see them, you know, hug and cheer and, and sort of tears of joy, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. What does that do to a program? I mean, I would imagine that kind of transforms the way people look at Drexel, squash, and probably transform the recruiting, transforms how you guys look at yourself. No? Definitely transforms the program of, you know, we're not just an outsider. We're not just filling in the top eight. We're not just there to, uh, you know, to try and get as high as we can. It's it's like we, we know what we can do. The other teams are talking. The amount of coaches that text and call me 
on the way home on the bus just to congratulate us and how awesome it was to, to see Drexel up there. It just shows that, you know, the program is, you know, we are a serious competitor for a national title. And we did it from the number six seed going into the tournament. And I think it's the lowest seed to ever reach the final. And it just shows, you know, the supporters and alumni that, you know, what's, what, the, what the, the program is capable of doing. And also, you know, it shows all the recruits that we're looking at domestic and international that they're not just coming into a, a top eight program. They're coming into a team that is, you know, is capable of, of winning a national title. And, and it's shown that so and the emails that we've been getting now from the recruits and you know it's 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 great you know it just shows that you know we we are a program that is not far off a national title what is kind of your origin story with squash when did you get introduced to the sport and was it merely that something that you knew you wanted to do for the rest of your life uh i got into it at the age of eight uh, my parents uh, both my parents played it my older brother David, he also played it, and we got introduced. My parents played league back in Australia in Townsville, and then, you know, we it wasn't a, a sport that I took up seriously to sh- straight away. We played, you know, we, obviously we played soccer, cricket, and a little bit of rugby league here and there, and then um, probably about the age of 15, 16, uh, really took it seriously, and the parents started taking us away to junior tournaments, and, you know, I started competing at the, at the Nationals, uh, was runner-up at the Australian Juniors and under-19, Back in the uh, 80s and 90s, we had uh, the it was the Australian Institute of Sport. It was governed by the the uh, yeah. sporting b- bodies where the elite athletes could go to a certain area and compete for their sport. So we, myself and my brother, we applied for that and we were accepted into the as it's called the AIS. And we trained full time for squash. And you know the the, two, the three coaches that were there was um, we had Heather McKay who was unbeaten for 16 years on the on the squash circuit. Jeff Hunt was heading it all. He was the best ever Australian player. And then also Kenny Hisco, who was also uh, amateur world champion. So with those three coaches and they, you know, they, they taught us, you know, what, what needed to be done as a, as a, on the professional circuit and what could be done. And that's, I was 19 uh, when I went there. And then that was the sort of the kickstart of my career where they helped us travel internationally to play all the tournaments. And then I was there for four years and then, Loved it and then decided to move across to Europe uh, in 97 and base myself in, in Europe to play uh, all the European leagues and everything else and play the circuit and never looked back. And so since the age of 19, I've been living and, and loving the game of squash. What was it like to be 19, 20 and, you know, traveling the globe? Was it ever overwhelming or did it just kind of seem natural and this is what I want to do and this is how you do it and this is just part and parcel for the road I want to take. The first couple of years was a little bit overwhelming where I used to love traveling a lot and then all of a sudden you know you are traveling the world you go into all sorts of countries but then it's like you know you're living out of hotel rooms and you're not too sure when the next tournament's going on and it's it was just sort of the first couple of years were a blur but very very enjoyable of you know you know, knowing what I wanted to do and then sort of, you know, after a while you sort of get used to knowing that it becomes a business and then you got to, you know, you're, you're knowing what tournaments you want to play, what tournaments are good for your rankings, the major tournaments you want to try and get into through qualifying and then it just became more of a business of, okay, this is what I need to do for myself. you got to be selfish after a while and, you know, every time you see friends, they're, they're, they're wanting to go out and party and all this and that and 
talk to her about it being a professional, but then there's times that you got to be selfish and look after yourself because it's, you know, it's your bread and butter, uh, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day and how you perform is, is how you get paid. So, you know, it became that way, but then I enjoyed it so much and, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm now playing uh, doubles and playing, you know, as much as I can. What is it that you love about the sport? If you had to kind of break it down to a, a one or two things that just absolutely drew you to the sport, keep you in the sport, keep you passionate about it, what is it about squash? It's, it's life's le- lessons, really. Traveling at such a young age and knowing what I know now through colleges is just the different cultures you get to see the different cultures you sort of live in for, for weeks at a time and the passion you get for the sport and knowing that it's played worldwide. It's sort of, you know, it's life, life lessons. You, you learn different cultures. You learn exactly what they're going through. And it's sort of, it's more of an eye-opener of, of, you know, how to live the life, really. It's like there's no, there's no one way you can have your own, your own goals and your own beliefs of going through it. But I learned when I was traveling that, yeah, okay, I'm going to go, to Egypt or Pakistan, there's different cultures, but I love their cultures and I was able to fit in fine of, okay, yes, you know, there's, you know, you, you respect what their cultures are. You know, you go all over Europe, every, everything's different. You know, you come across to, to North, North America and play the North American circuit. It's all, it's all different. And I really, really enjoyed knowing different cultures, very open-minded about it. And it's sort of, I enjoyed the travel and meeting new people and knowing that I'm going to go across to these countries at certain times in my career. And I, I enjoyed going to those countries, which then if you enjoy going and traveling, you competed better. You know, it wasn't going somewhere where you completely hated it. And, you know, I had, I had some buddies who, who traveled and they, they didn't like going to certain countries and they, they couldn't perform properly. You know, but my, myself was, you know, I found it very easy, very open-minded about, okay, this is, what you have to expect where you go into certain countries. And I think that's what's brought me to college life and sort of realized that bringing different cultures into a team and who fits where. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a juggling act, but it's, um, it's something that really drives me forward of, of promoting the sport college level and bringing the different cultures together to play on the same team. How about the sport itself when you're playing? What's your favorite part of the, the sport in the moment? competing everything is every rally is different every every shot is different it's it's like it's it's there's so many different angles the the quick movement you know slowing slowing it down slowing the ball down the pace of the game and pretty much you know not knowing what's happening when you walk on the squash court you know you've got to work it out you do have a game plan but you you still have to work it out as as the rallies and the games progressing you know it's not just okay you know this is this is what i'm going to be doing if your opponent could start out playing you. You've got to figure it out at the split second. You know, after every rally, you've only got, you know, 30, 40, 50 shots. You've got five seconds, maybe five to 10 seconds that you, the next rally starts. You don't have a lot of time to console yourself and sort of, you may have hit a bad shot or, you know, you could be outplayed and there's so much mental sides, side of it going through your, through your mind that you've got to work it out very quickly. All the traveling you did, all the places you went, is there a favorite? Is there one place that just stood out as just an amazing experience and a place that just always holds a special spot in your heart? Yeah, there's, there's a few, actually. There's, you know, my first experience of, of you know, traveling to, uh, to Egypt and, well, Cairo is, you know, they put a four-wall glass court 
kilometer and a half or, or a mile into the desert right beside the pyramids. So, you know, you, you, we're getting busted out as players and then all of a sudden, and it's not played during the day because of it's not in the sunlight. So, you know, you, we have to wait until, you know, 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night before you play. Some matches are going on at 1 o'clock in the morning. But where the squash court is, it's, you know, three and a half, four thousand seats around it. But you look through the front wall, which is glass, they have the first pyramid lit up in yellow lights and then the second period pyramid is lit up in, in, in red lights. And Egypt, you know, over there, squash is one of their biggest sports, you know, besides soccer. So you go over there, you treat it like royalty. And just to see where they could place a squash court, you know, out in the desert beside the, the pyramids, that to myself is one of the most spectacular events to play and just their, their love of the game. I enjoyed traveling to Egypt all the time and, and just seeing their culture. Hong Kong was another one. Um, they put the glass court on Kowloon Island that overlooked Hong Kong City. And then, you know, obviously some of the tournaments over in America where Grand Central Terminal, you know, the biggest train station there is. It's like they have a glass court in Vanderbilt Hall. It's like played on it many times and you have, you know, thousands of people just walking past the sport you love, squash. And some, you know, haven't seen it, but you're playing squash in a, uh, in a train station. <laughs> you lose, you pack your bag, get on a train and go home. <laughs> Plain and simple, really. <laughs> so, you know, th those three really stand out. And, you know, they're, the, they're, the, they're the, the tournaments I love to see. And hopefully people can, can promote it going forward. Time for a break on one-on-one. -on -one. We will have more with Drexel men's and women's squash coach John White right after this. And we are back on one-on-one. -on -one. Our guest this week is head men's and women's squash coach at Drexel University, John White. You played at a high level. You're ranked number one in the world, multiple championships, stuff like that. How did you deal with the pressure? Did you feel a lot of pressure? It was definitely a challenge for sure. It's, it's you know, the, the years that I was playing of, you know, even just trying to get in the top 100, then top 50, then... You know, you qualify for these major tournaments, the challenge and the pressure of you qualify and then all of a sudden you're playing against, you know, one of the top 16 players in the world first round. It's like you've just played two matches and now they're, you know, you're getting thrown in the deep end. But, you know, that pressure itself is, you know, I enjoyed the pressure. I enjoyed the challenge. And then you get to the top 10 and top four. And then when I became world number one, it's like, you know, to be introduced on court as a world number one, just the pressure of that statement there. And it's like, you know, you're chasing that number one spot. Then all of a sudden you get that number one spot and you have a big red target on your back that everyone wants to beat you. So, you know, that in itself and, you know, trying to keep a hold of them one spot, it's, you know, the, the, the pressure was, you know, obviously, yes, it's pressure. And then it's just a matter of how you deal with it. And I felt I did quite well with it and just that competitive side of the game of squash I, I loved all the time you know some of my players here they come and challenge me I'm like okay let me go and warm up now and let's go I don't mind <laughs> how much of a grind was being a professional squash player at that level physically yeah it's obviously you know it's, it's definitely a grind where day in day out training for the major tournaments knowing you know, that you're, you're going to be traveling for the next four weeks, but you've got three major tournaments or you've got three tournaments you have to play. And the grind itself is, is you know, knowing when to look after your body, knowing, you know, when you need to have a rest, when you need to have a light session. And, you know, it, it, you, you bang your body up all the time. You've always got some sort of tweak here and there where, 
you know, some of the tournaments is, you know, you could play four or five matches and each match could go for an hour to an hour and a half. And there, there's, back then there was not that many rest days. So you could be playing three matches in a row, have a rest day and play another match. So you're beating your body up. And it was really 2000, year 2000, I moved from uh, Holland to go to England. And I got a fitness trainer as opposed to a squash trainer. That was pretty much the, the period there. And that went for four years where we completely changed my training schedule, completely changed of, you know, doing two a day or even sometimes three a day that some of the professional athletes did and to do everything on the squash court. You know, I had a meeting with him. He had trained some squash players before and other athletes. I enjoyed what he did. And a lot of it was plyometric work, speed, a little bit of track work, but a lot of it was off court. So I enjoyed that time with it. and. We, we got a partnership together and I went to him three, four times a week and everything was off court. And there were some days where I would leave his sessions and I'd be driving home and I'd, my, my arms would be shaking or I'd be like, you know, physically was just, it was just demanding. But knowing that the work I'm putting in is going to help me through the tournaments and then restarted my career again of knowing that I'm actually now looking after my body, but doing the work. And some of the guys that I would train with, they'd be like, you know, they'd be texting me saying, why do we don't see at the squash court? Are you still playing squash? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'll see you on Thursday for a hit. And they're like, well, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm just doing my own practices. I'm doing my own training and I know it works. And, and, and it, it worked. You know, it got me to the lot more semifinals and finals and, and championships and everything else that went with it. But I completely changed my mentality and, and the way that I trained, knowing that it was still going to be good for my squash and the results spoke for themselves when you're playing at that high level and you're training that intensely and the stakes are so high would you be able to play squash just for fun with a friend were you able to kind of turn off all the intensity and not that you weren't intense even if you're just playing kind of a, a match with a buddy but were you able to just unwind playing squash or did you need to unwind get completely away from the sport and do something else? No, there was, well, <laughs> while, while we're on the circuit, it's, it's, it was, it was, there was never, there was never a fun game of squash, that's for sure. So it was literally having to, to move away. And I think one of the best things, I had a young family where I had four kids at a very young age, at the age of 25. So, you know, going home to a family was, I was able to sort of get away from the actual game. And like when we used to play league event and if, you know, some of the guys that I was training with, they said, let's, you know, let's just go down tomorrow and have a little bit of a hit. Let's just go and play a match. That match would almost turn into a serious, okay, I'm not going to lose. And it was like, you know, and it got a little bit of a push and shove and this and that, but that, you know, going down just to have a so-called practice hit was, was not a practice hit, which was, I guess, you know, good and bad where you just want to try and enjoy the game. And, but there was, <laughs> it was enjoyable of, Okay, you know, sometimes we like halfway through the match, we're like, okay, we're playing to whoever loses, you have to wash each other's car, you know, or you're going to buy lunch or he, he's a hundred quid, hundred dollars, you know, we're playing for this now. Then, then something switched and it was, there was no holds barred. <laughs> so there was, there was no, there was no real enjoyment of, okay, let's just go and have a social hit. You know, even now it's like you go down and have a social hit and, I play league at the PSRA here in Philadelphia and, you know, there, there's, you know, I jump on court and it's like, you know, I try and have fun. Then all of a sudden it's like, you know what, I've, 
I'm not, I'm not going to, if this isn't fun, I'm going to make it into a serious match. So, you know, that, that side's always going to be there. You're never going to lose it. And I don't think I ever want to lose it because it sort of, it, bring, it brings me back to the good old days and, and what the sport means to me. We mentioned you got to be the number one player in the world. You talked about winning on different circuits, multiple professional squash association titles. When you think to your, the entirety of your career as a pro, what are you most proud of? Like if you had to start a conversation about your career as a professional squash player, what would be the first thing you, you think people should know? Uh, the enjoyment that I got out of the game itself. You know, it, it taught me a lot about life. I got to see the the whole world, got some great friends everywhere around the world. And ju- just what it taught me through life and, and what I was able to do playing a sport that I loved and now being able to to give back to that sport. You know, when I knew that I wanted to be a, a pro, pro uh, squash player, it was like, okay, I'm doing it because it's, you know, it turned in, obviously turned into a business, but it also turned into to a passion. You know, and ju- just being able to last, you know, 17 years on the circuit where I had probably 10 or 12 other guys who come out of Australia who just, they didn't make it, they didn't enjoy it, and they, they just went, went back home. And I was able to sort of, you know, grind it out and enjoy what I, what I was doing. You know, you get some long travels, you get some, you know, the amount of cancelled flights, the amount of delayed flights, the amount of time you spend in a hotel. People are saying, you know, that must have been a drain. But, you know, I, I look back on it and I, I enjoyed every minute of it. You know, it, it taught me what I what I know now, and I and I still love the sport. Everything I read about you as a competitor talked about one of the hardest shots. You know, shots that were clocked at like 170 miles an hour. Was that something that you actively pursued to have a shot that fast, or was it just it's just part of my game? I'm and it's an, a result of my training and a result of my physical skill, and I just happened to have a really hard shot. Yeah, from a young age, I, I always was able to time the ball so well where I was able to, you know, get a lot of power out of it, and then you know, it, it just it 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 came and it became a, a part of my play where I, I love to play at a hard, fast pace. You know, that was pretty much you know what disturbed a lot of the players that I played against was was the pace that. I could hit the ball out with in different angles as well, and then everyone's going, "Well, let's let's try and you know clock the speed." And then it, it became fun to you know hit the ball up and then just try and give a good old whack. But that's something that you know I did on the squash court naturally, where just the power and pace that I had was something that I had from a young age and didn't really have to work on it. You know, I had a I had a buddy. Well, I still have a buddy, Brett Martin. He used to he was an Aussie guy that I looked up to on the circuit and. We used to play some games where we'd just try and hit the ball as hard as we can every single shot and see if we can see how hot and bouncy we can get the ball just for something fun. But it, it you know, we did that every so often, but it, it teaches better timing and it teaches you what to do when it's a bouncy court. So it was it was enjoyable at the same time. But that was pretty much, you know, my my game plan. To that point, like in baseball, when guys can throw 100, 101 miles an hour, it's like everybody in the sport knows you know, stuff like that. Is it something in squash that that is kind of something that, oh, he can really hit the ball hard and fast and people know post 170 miles an hour. Is that part of kind of the the fabric of the sport and the following of the sport? Yeah, definitely. You, you get guys who are coming through that, you know, they'll just say, well, you know, I think he hits the ball harder than ever. You know, it's it's the pace that some of the young juniors are now bringing to the game and the angles that some of the players are bringing to the game. You see that, 
and you and you get to know that and and you know same as same as with college coaching it's like you know I'll know who's coming through or who's going to have it or who's going to yell and how that young kid plays you know some of them are very very fit so you're gonna you know you gotta you gotta teach your players and coach your players how to play against a really fit player then others are like listen this guy or this female you know they they put pace in the ball you know the ball's going to come back to you a little bit faster you got a little bit more time because it's going to bounce off the back wall a little bit more you know so don't panic you know it's 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 you need to know that and once once some of the young kids come out and they have the pace i actually enjoy going to watch them play just to see if they can hit the ball that hard <laughs> you talked about all the wonderful places you played i've talked to a lot of like basketball players that would travel the globe and play everywhere. And they'd be in some situations that were really good. And they'd be in some situations where they'd be like, ah, eh, you know what? I think the next flight I'm going to be going home. Were you ever in places where maybe you didn't have fear, but it was kind of a, you know, a sketchier country or some, it was just a, an odd place to be. And maybe it wasn't the, the best of circumstances. Do you have any experiences at that end of the spectrum? Yeah, there's been a couple. There's been a couple where one of my first trips to India, I was in, we played a tournament in Calcutta and, you know, just taking a cab from the hotel to the, the squash court was pretty much like an eye opener. Like you're going through, you know, the worst, one of the worst, you know, cities in the world of overpopulation. You see families in the street, you see cows in the road, you're seeing how people actually live and they're living on the street. It's like, it's like, you know what, it's, and then you go to the country club and the country club's got lovely green grass and it's lovely playing and that, but then it's like you see the way it is and, and it's like we were also told that you couldn't walk certain areas around the hotel because it just wasn't safe enough for the Western world. So it's like, well, okay, yeah, I, I need to get the next flight out. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's not that enjoyable to, to go and compete, but it's, you know, traveled many times back to back to India. But then I think that's another culture shock where it's okay you know where you're going to you know how people live it's you know it's not a nice place to go and see the other time where i tried to get the next flight out was i was actually flying in on 9-11 into new york and my flight into new york got diverted we were just uh, just an hour outside of of new york when it all started happening and we were diverted to uh, uh moncton nova scotia so that was another time i just want to get on a flight and go home <laughs> but you know it's it's you couldn't Time for another break on one-on-one. We will have more with John White right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one is Drexel head men's and women's squash coach, John White. When did coaching first appear on your radar? Was it something you always figured you would eventually pursue or were your you know, days as a high level pro starting to wind down and you wanted to see what the next chapter would be. How did it figure into the equation? Quite lucky, actually, where during my career, it's like we used to all the exhibitions or league matches we would go to, they'd ask us to do junior clinics or they'd ask us to go and hit with some of the members. And, you know, you go and do an exhibition match and you're sort of, you know, you're hitting with some of the top juniors and top seniors and you, you, you sort of coach along the way of, you know, even it, it's only for like an hour and I really, really enjoy doing all the exhibitions around the world and knowing the exhibitions, you know, you've got an hour and a half for junior clinics and an hour and a half for seniors and you go into the exhibition and you do a question and answer. And that sort of brought me into coaching. And one of my goals when I finished was, you know, I had a few buddies who were opening their own facility. They were going into 
private coaching, some were going into club coaching. And then I got a, a phone call. I was living in, in Philadelphia, or I still am living in Philadelphia, but then one of my buddies had a, a close friend who was an alumni of Franklin Marshall College. And he asked me if I ever thought about going to college squash. And I had no idea about college squash back then in, in 2000, 2008 season. And then um, uh, he put me in, in contact with the president, who was at, at that time was President Fry. I had a phone conversation about, you know, I'd be interested, interested in the position and drove out to Franklin Marshall College. And, you know, he, he showed me around and went out to, for a few practices. And I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go for it. And then that was, that was, you know, jumping into college squash, you know, and then getting to know, you know, how college squash worked with, you know, obviously alumni relations and coaching a men's team, coaching a women's team, what goes into it, you know, recruiting, travel, business, fundraising, everything. And then it grew on me and grew on me. And it's, I think it's one of the best positions I could have gone into. Was that overwhelming? All the things that go along with being a coach that are outside the purview of coaching the team. How tough was that? It was, it was tough. It was actually, I think, tougher than, than starting on the pro circuit of having to book your own flights and hotels and where you're traveling and what tournaments to play. It's like, I think one of the first interviews with, or, or the first, first meetings with the athletic department was, okay, you've got to do the schedule. Okay. You know, you've got to do some fundraising. Okay. You've got to, book the hotel rooms. I'm just like, oh, okay. And it's not just one hotel room for me. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole team. And then the bus travel and what time do you leave? And, you know, you know, what time are you getting to the facility? And it was, it was overwhelming. And I sat down with the football coach when I first got there and he said, okay, this is, this is how we do, this is how we schedule it, you know? And then, you know, I started to talk to a few of my other buddies who were in college coaching and just learning the ropes straight away. But it, it was like, you know, you, I threw myself into the deep end, trying to juggle everything. But it was, it was some of that sort of, you know, the pressure on that of this is what you got to do. You know, coaching was the easy side of, of, of you know, that was twenty five percent of it. The other seventy five percent it was, was admin work, which is, you know, as the years progress, you sort of realize, okay, this is how you do the scheduling. This is, you know, this is the time to do it. This is recruiting. This is the emails. This is everything else. And it sort of, it flows. You know, but the first two years, first two seasons at Franklin Marshall College, it was, yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind, but it was fun. What was the challenge of finding your pace with recruiting? Um, the recruiting was, you know, knowing the the baseline GPA and the baseline SAT or the TOEFL score that we needed, but then also knowing of other schools as well, because when you start to compete with, you know, the top juniors of, you know, everyone's looking at the top juniors to strengthening your one and two of both men's and women's programs. But then also, you know, there's six or seven other schools looking for them, you know, and looking at them. And if, you know, if they've got very good, you know, if they come in with a, you know, a three, six, three, seven and a 1400 SAT, then it's like, well, okay, most likely they're going to go to an Ivy League, you know, and especially if they're, you know, a top five, top 10 internationally ranked junior and also with the domestic kids. So, that in itself of knowing and then going after a certain, you know, recruit, letting them know what is in, on offer for when I first started Franklin Marshall College and what is offered as a student athlete here at Drexel, knowing the level they're going to bring to the team. But also for me now, the biggest one is 
their background and their culture of bringing that culture into the team environment that we've already got. You know, looking back at the recruits, it's, you know, we try and have them on as an official visit or we try and go and see them at the World Juniors or, you know, just to see how they are on court, off court, mingling with other people, their attitudes on court and off court also. You know, that, that's, that's a big key of the recruiting. So I think you were four years at FNM and then the Drexel opportunity came and the Drexel opportunity was basically to start the varsity men's and women's programs. How did that door open and why was it intriguing to you? You know, four years at FNM, it was, and it was probably one of the hardest decisions to, to make was to leave FNM. So I just got into knowing the real ins and outs of getting to know all the recruits, but it's not just the recruits, it's their families and everything else. And the alumni base came back like they were, the men's were down outside the top 20 and the alumni support that came back, they wanted the program to be in a, another top eight competitor. And in my last year, we got them into the top eight. And then through the grapevine, the, the Drexel opportunity came up, I was contacted. The, I got, got in contact with Eric Zilmer, the athletic director here who was there, who was here at Drexel. And we got talking and he said, you know, there's an opportunity that we're looking to start a, a varsity program. And it's sort of that dawned on me, whereas, you know, I've always wanted to start my own program from the beginning, as opposed to going into either a club scene and you just, you know, you just another, another coach at a club or you're moving into a program and it's, you know, it's been there for 50 years and it's like, you're just trying to, you know, rebuild it again. But that was very intriguing to me of, okay, let's, let's see what they've got on offer. So I came in and, you know, they didn't have courts, you know, they only had two courts up here. The, the, the six courts downstairs were the, was the old North American courts that they were going to completely rebuild. Um, didn't have a budget, didn't have one player. You know, they had a lot of club, a, a big club scene and, I was like, oh, okay, you, you seriously are starting from the from the very beginning. I went home and, and, and had a discussion with, back then, my, my, my wife about leaving F&M. Talked to my parents back in Australia and, you know, dad said, listen, this is, if this is, you know, if this was your goal, it's sort of knocking on your door. It's like, you know, if it's something you think you can do and it's something you want to go ahead with, he says, it's, it's an opportunity right here. So... And I, I made a big decision and it was like, you know, it's very, very nervy to start with and sort of, you know, having to go back to my old athletic director at FNM and say this opportunity once in a lifetime, it's something that I would like to do. And, you know, they said, we can't offer you anything else. Can we? I'm like, doesn't matter. You know, you can offer me everything, but it's something that I want to do. And, you know, and the hardest part was, was having a conversation with, with the team members at FNM saying, you know, it's something I, I've, I've always wanted to do and, you know, I've made a decision to move across to Drexel and made the move and then started the program. And here we, here we are now, 10 years later. Like when you, you take over, like you said, no player, building courts, like, so what was the first order of business to kind of put your flag in the ground and, and start the building process? I hired an assistant, a good friend of mine, Sean Wilkinson. He he came over and, and he he was my assistant and then, letting the college squash association know that we are going to be a varsity status now. And then it was walking around where the recreational squash courts were and anyone who could hit a good squash ball, we would walk down and we'd, we'd knock on the door and, and say, listen, you know, we are starting a program, send an email to all the club players, 
we got their addresses and we sent a, a group email out and through the athletic department that Drexel is starting a varsity program. Please contact Coach White, Coach Wilkinson, and the players started coming on and we got a roster together and then reached out to all the, the lower-ranked teams, and say, especially around the area, and could you fit us on, the, um, on your schedule? Uh, away we went again. You know, just trying to get, you know, teams playing against us. You know, we did a lot of travel the first two years just to get other teams on the schedule, and then we didn't win a match. You know, we had some players in the team that had never played squash before for the first year. We had probably four or five that it was their first time playing. You know, and then we, we sat them down and they had to sign off on the NCAA paperwork, <laughs> all the compliance and what is the expectations. And, you know, I remember it vividly of, you know, okay, you know, then we, had, then we started the team and just started doing, we were on the court probably four to five hours a day, every day for the first season. Just sometimes it was just individual, just here's a squash bracket, here's a ball, this is how you serve, this is what the lines are for. This is how you score. Let's go, and then, and then, then sort of, you know, traveling with them, you know, teaching them the very basics of okay, you know, we're going away for the weekend. This is how we're going to do a team lineup. This is what we do. This is the court you're going to be playing on. You've got a referee afterwards. Pretty much teaching everybody college squash all over again, which is something that you know starting the program had to do, and I enjoyed every single minute of it. Sure, there were some frustrating times and, you know, leaving a top eight team, you know, playing off the top eight, eight, eight bracket, you know, for a, for a national championship with FNM to traveling away, begging people to play us for the first year. But it was every, every second was enjoyable. Yeah. To that point, there, there's got to be, uh, like you said, there's sure there's frustration and, and stuff like that, but there's really nothing like building something like yeah. this you can almost kind of throw early on throw the records aside you're just you get to institute the culture you're instituting the direction and you know i'm sure these kids are like sponges you know trying to take it all in and they're really there's probably nothing like that experience no there's not you know it's it's you know it's throwing everything away and you're just, you're just starting from from scratch and it's like you know just seeing the both men's and women's teams sort of come together in the first couple of years of knowing, okay, and, and just teaching them, okay, this is the culture. You know, this is what we do in a practice. This is what you need to do in the strength room. These are your captains. Go and enjoy the sport. And then when we started to win in a few matches, it's just the enjoyment and the, and the team camaraderie to see that at a very basic of being number 35 in the nation, you know, starting from the very beginning to see the enjoyment that they get out of it. and then then coming back for the next season and then the email of recruits coming in or wanting to join Drexel and everything that you, you put in from the very beginning and each year was, was, was a new stepping stone for us. You know, each year is bringing in, you know, new recruits each year is seeing, you know, the seniors that only played for us for one year, but you know, they, they helped build where we are now, you know, the, those players that who knows it, it could have been, you know, a, a complete shambles for the first four or five years of not even getting a full team together, you know, but it, it sort of started off and the wheels started turning very, very early and just a, the, the culture of the squash scene came together very quickly. And it was, you know, as I said, each year is, is a new challenge, you know, and now, you know, each year is a new challenge. Next year is a, a new challenge, 
you know, to do to do one better and get the men's team up a few notches, you know. So, but you know, knowing what we did at the very very beginning to where we are now, and it's you know, it's it's an unbelievable feeling. But it's we we start again March twenty eighth for spring practice. It's a it's a new season starting again. To the point of you know where you started the program to sending out emails to kids playing club to having the women be a match away from a national championship in about a decade. Does it seem surreal to you or does it make sense? A little bit of both. It's, it's like that whole weekend of the women's nationals of what I knew the team could do, the work they had done on and off court and how they were just coming together to play with each play for each other. You know, that in itself, like even on the bus, bus ride home and, and the week after it's leading up to the individuals, I was still like, what just happened? You know, that in itself. And But knowing they could get the results if they put it all together is, you know, f- for them to put it together in one weekend at the Nationals and coming at the sixth and play for national title is definitely, definitely surreal. But it's it's like, you know, that's what we've been working for and knowing what they can do and, even now, it's like when, when we see the girls walk past the office or they come in for a chat, it's still, you're giving them a big hug. And, you know, we, you know we're, I'm calling them, hey, doing champions, you know, just because of, it's, it's just, you know, they're all on cloud nine, so they should be, you know, so they should be of, of what we've done in a decade, but it's, it's such a short period of time to start a program to where we are now. So it's, you know, it, it is that. It's, it's, you know, it's still, still talking about it is, you know, I get goosebumps and I want to go play squash now. <laughs> John White, this was so much fun. Thanks so much for the time. That's awesome. Thank you very much for having me, mate. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Drexel Head Men's and Women's Squash Coach John White for being our guest this week. If you like this show, if you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.